All right, today we are continuing our summer series in the book of Psalms, and specifically through this month of August, we've been looking at Psalm 119. So if you would, turn with me to Psalm 119. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback one under the seat in front of you. Grab that one, um, and you can go to page 513. We're going to be in Psalm 119 and starting in verse 73 today. Um, As we do that, let me give you a quick recap of where we've been. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and all of it, all of it is about God's Word. Every single verse in Psalm 119 references God's Word in some way. And so we've been talking over the last three weeks about God's Word and what it looks like to engage God's Word. And we said we can read God's Word, we need to obey God's Word. Last week we talked about memorizing God's Word. All of those things, important things that we can and should do, are things that in theory, technically, you could do by yourself. However, when we become believers, when we trust in Jesus, that's not just an individual personal transaction. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've been rescued by Jesus, you weren't just rescued by yourself. You were brought into, you were rescued into, you were adopted into a family. And that family, which we refer to it as the church, but it's it's our family, it's our community, it's who we are as believers together, that is central to who we are. That is central to what we do as believers, including how we engage God's Word. Let's read the passage. We're going to start in verse 73 on page 513. Let's let's read this together. Psalm 119, start in verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. The word of the Lord. All right, so we're talking about move up Sunday and this is, you know, this is back to school time. All the kids are back in school. Bunch of, we have a lot of college students here today. They are back in school. We have one of the things about Trailhead. We have a lot of teachers at Trailhead, um, which I think is awesome because I'm a teacher. I've, I've, you know, spent 15 years teaching in the classroom. I'm, that's my heart. I'm a teacher at heart. How many, I know not, you know, I'm sure a lot of them are downstairs, but how many teachers do we have in the room right now? Any, a few of our teachers raised, okay, yeah, and there, we have so many teachers. Okay, so here's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a, this is more than a prediction. I'm 100% certain of this. Every single teacher in this room, every single teacher you've ever met, there is one question that they have all heard possibly more than any other question ever. And this is the question. When am I ever going to need to know this? 
Teachers, am I right? Have you heard that question before? I don't care what grade you teach. I don't care what subject you teach. Every single teacher has heard this question. In fact, the first time I ever heard, I ever heard this question, I wasn't even teaching yet. I was in college. I was studying to be a teacher, and I was doing observations. And I was working in a first-grade classroom, and I was trying to help a girl with single-digit subtraction. And she said, when am I ever going to need to know this? You're right. You will never need to be able to subtract 5 minus 3. Um, every, every teacher has heard this question, and okay, let's be honest, we've all either, you, you may have asked it, or maybe you were one of the good kids, you didn't say it out loud, but you've thought it. You thought it in certain classes and certain subjects. Teachers, you've thought it while you were teaching it before. Let's be honest, okay? And I say teachers in school, we don't really grow out of this, do we? Okay? Here's the part now, here's where you, you stop looking around and you kind of have to look down. How many of you have sat in church before and you've been listening to a sermon and you've thought to yourself, when am I ever going to need to know this? Or you've been reading your Bible, we're talking about engaging the scripture, and you've been reading your Bible, and like, oh man, he said I need to read it, and I was all inspired about this is going to be great, and you're reading your Bible, and you're like, when am I ever going to need to know this? It's a big list of names that you can't pronounce, and you're like, what is the purpose of this? When am I ever going to need to know this? And eventually, we can get to a place, I think, we can get to a place where this, the this being the scriptures, the gospel, Jesus in general, starts to become totally separate from our quote-unquote real life. And we start asking the question, why in the world am I spending so much time investing so much effort and so much energy into learning about God or thinking about God or serving in a church when I've got all these real problems in my life? What does the gospel have to do with my real life? When am I ever actually going to apply this? And you can talk, and Aaron, you talk about obeying the word, and you can talk about memorizing the word because you want to hide it in your heart, but in day-to-day -day real life, there's so many things that I have put up against and there's so much of the scripture and there's so much of God's word that seems to have absolutely no connection. When am I ever going to need to know this? How does this, when I'm, <laughs> when you're in a fight with your spouse or when you're staring down a foreclosure or a bankruptcy, when you are overwhelmed with your fear as you look at the world around you and there's all these big issues, these social issues, these political issues and all this big stuff, what does any of that have to do with the gospel. How does the Bible apply to all of that? And all of us can come to a place where we start asking those questions. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Your questions do not surprise God. It's okay to ask questions. Okay? Again, teacher in me always wanted to say to my class, it's okay to ask questions because what you do when you're a teacher, sorry, tangent for teachers, you sit there, you talk, they all go, and then they don't understand a word you're saying. It's okay to ask questions. God wants you to ask your questions. Regardless of what you may have heard in the past, God is not afraid of your questions. He wants you to ask your questions. 
But here's the second thing I want you to hear this morning, and this is kind of the big picture, okay? God has given us an incredible gift, an incredible gift. Not just his word. His word is a gift, absolutely. But alongside his word, he's given us another gift. And that gift helps us to understand how the gospel, the truth, who God is and what he's done connects with the real life, everyday, nuts and bolts stuff that you struggle with. And the gift that God has given us to connect those two at times seemingly totally distant things, the gift he's given to connect those two things together is the gift of community. Community. The relationships we have between, as believers in Christ, with other believers in Christ, those relationships, that community, is what moves the gospel from abstract ideas to concrete, real life, this is what it looks like day to day. Because it's in community, it's in relationship with other believers that we can see and we can experience the outworking of the gospel in a way that can absolutely transform our quote-unquote real lives. Psalm 119 shows us this in a very, very specific way, a very concrete way. Look at this. Look at verse 74, okay? It starts out in verse 74, and it says, those who fear you, and remember the you in all of Psalm 119, is talk, he's talking to God. The psalmist is talking to God, and he says, those who fear you, God, shall see me and rejoice. Those who fear you is a reference when Psalm 119 was written to the nation of Israel. It's a reference to the nation of Israel because the contrast between those who believe, those who are part of God's covenant people, Israel at that time, and the other nations around them who did not trust, did not believe, and did not fear God, the God, the true God, Jehovah or Yahweh, and he's saying those who are part of this community, those who fear you, those who respect you, those who see you as all-powerful, as opposed to the contrast, uh, verse 78, let the insolent, the arrogant, in a, another translation might say, the arrogant be put to shame. In other words, the contrast here is between those who trust in God, who believe in God, and those who don't. And he says, those who fear you, those in this community, those who believe alongside, let those who fear you see me. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. When those, here's what the psalmist is saying, people who believe in you, who trust in you, God, when they see me, it's going to make them really happy. Okay, that's really arrogant. I'm just going to be honest. I did not think this morning, I'm driving in here today, like, I'll bet, man, when everybody gets to church, they're going to be so happy to see me. Like, they cannot wait. Man, when I get up front and I'm like, hey, I'm, my name's Aaron, they're going to be like, yes! <laughs> so let's read the rest of the verse, okay? Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is not, is not, people are going to be really excited because I'm so awesome. What he's saying is there's something I'm doing or there's something that's happening in me 
that's going to cause other people to have joy. And what is the thing? What is the thing that's going to cause other people to have joy? It's where the psalmist has placed his hope. His hope is in God's word, God's truth, the good news, what we refer to as the gospel. When they, when he says, when other people who, who believe in you, who trust in you, who are part of your community, when they see the hope that I have in the gospel, it's going to bring them joy. And here's the second thing that I want you to understand about this. It's not just that the hope is in the gospel, again, in an abstract sort of way. He's not saying because I have read a lot about you, I've studied a lot about you, I understand all this different terminology and the language to use and all that kind of stuff. Look at verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Verse 76. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Here's what the psalmist is saying. He has gone through incredible difficulty and pain, affliction. He's in need of comfort. And he is finding his comfort. He's finding his, God's mercy. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live. He's finding that mercy where? In the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. The gospel, the story that God looked at this broken world. He created this world perfect. We broke it. And he looked at the broken world and said, I'm going to fix it. And he sent Jesus, and Jesus lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve to die. Why? So that he could take the punishment, the pain, the wrath that we deserve for breaking God's perfect world. And by rising again in victory over death, he began the process of restoring, of putting back right everything that was wrong. And that we have a promise, God's word, his testimony, his promise to us is that if we believe in Jesus, if we trust in him, that we're a part of his family, then we will get to share in what one day will be a fully and completely restored creation. That this broken world we live in will be put right That all the pain we suffer now, that all the difficulty we go through now, will one day, it will become clear to us one day, not now, but one day that there was a purpose, that it was a part of God's plan of him restoring the world back to the way it's supposed to be. And that if we trust in him, if we're a part of his family, then we will get to share in that restored world with him someday and that's our hope and the psalmist says when i go through pain i trust in that hope i trust in the gospel i trust that there's more to this life than just what i see in this life and i trust that you god because of what you've done because you've demonstrated your incredible love to me through jesus christ that you are with me and that you will comfort me in my pain It doesn't take away my pain. It doesn't mean I don't experience fear or hurt or betrayal. But it means that God is with me during it. And when, the psalmist says, when others who believe in Jesus see someone who's going through pain, 
who's going through suffering, who's leaning on Jesus, who's trusting in the gospel for hope, that when they see that, they'll rejoice. They'll be filled with joy. When we, in our lives, look to God for hope when everything seems hopeless, and when other believers see and experience that, we give them a gift. We allow them to see real life, real time, what it looks like to have faith and to trust in someone who is greater than us, someone who loves us, someone who died for us. When we see how the gospel plays out in other people's lives, then it allows us to see how the gospel can work in our lives. This is what the psalmist is saying. In fact, he's more than just asking. He's expecting that this will happen. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. When we, as believers, when we see the intersection of the gospel with other people's lived experiences, when we see what their life with their pain and their suffering and everything they've been through intersects with the gospel in their lives, it opens our eyes to be able to apply the gospel to our own lives in ways we would not have seen on our own, in our own pain, in our own struggles. When we see that playing out in someone else's life, it allows us to say, oh, I do need this. This is more than just academic. This is real. The psalmist is saying here that he's, he's experienced pain. He's, I think that's clear in these verses, affliction. He needs comfort. He needs mercy. He's not speaking from a position of privilege. I've lived a, a perfect life. Everything's been good to me. Boy, isn't God good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's been hard. I've been through real difficult stuff. And he wants, he wants other people to look to him. Not because of him. Not because he believes he's great. He wants to be able to point other believers to his source of joy. He's experiencing comfort. He's experiencing mercy because of the gospel. He wants other people to experience it too. He says in verse 79, let those who fear you, again, those who trust in you, those in your community, let them turn to me. And the turn there means return, to turn back, to come back to me, that they may know your testimonies. He's asking for believers to come to him, not because of him, not because he thinks he's great, not because he's got it all figured out, but because he sees God working in his life and he
he wants to share that. He wants others to experience it. Now, is it possible for us, for us as 21st century believers, in our very divided, very scattered, very modern world, is it possible for us to have that same kind of experience, to see in the lives of other people God's grace working? It is possible, but it's only possible if we are in other people's lives. It's only possible to experience what the psalmist is talking about here if we are in community together with other believers. Community meaning not, meaning community meaning a lot more, a lot more than being a member of a church. Community means a lot more than just showing up, not that showing up is bad, showing up is the first step always, but it's more than just showing up on a Sunday for a worship service. Again, not that that's bad, this is really important. But this by itself, watching online, being here in the building by itself, is not enough to fully fully see the gospel working in the lives of your fellow believers. Community. When we talk about community, because we use the word community, it's a value here at Trailhead, it's important. We call our groups community groups. Community, when we talk about community, is not just about seeing people and being able to wave to them and say hi to them. Community is about having relationships about knowing and being known. Because there are beautiful truths about the gospel that God wants to show us through other believers. But community, true community, is hard. It's difficult. Community is difficult because every single one of us, every person you will ever be in community with, is broken, just like you are. All of us, we are broken. We are image bearers of God, but we are broken image bearers. Look back at the very first verse that we read today, verse 73. It's such a beautiful verse. Your hands, God, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. There's there's two truths that are so beautiful in this one verse. All of us are shaped by God. Every single human being has worth, has value, has dignity because every single human being is made, the scripture tells us, in the image of God. We are shaped by the hands of God. God knows you. God made you. God created you the way that you are. And, as he says, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. God made us exactly the way we are. And all of us are broken. All of us, on our own, are incomplete. All of us have a need. We are not enough on our own. God made us. God made you. He loves you. He created you. Your personality, your body, everything about you, everything, most of the things about you that you can't stand... God loves because he made you. But you are broken, and I am broken. 
And there are things about us that are a result of our brokenness. And because we are all broken, even though we're image bearers of God, we all have dignity, we all have value, we all have worth, but we're all broken. And that brokenness, when it rubs up against other broken people, it hurts. Being truly in community, truly in relationship with other believers can be hard because they're broken people, just like you. And when you get a bunch of broken people together, it usually hurts. But for people to see God working in you, and for you to see God working in other people, for us to fully experience the transformative power of the gospel in our lives requires us to be in relationship with other broken people. And that requires vulnerability. And the very definition of vulnerability is the ability to be hurt. To open ourselves up to be be vulnerable in community with others so that we can see the gospel working in their lives, they can see God working in our lives, requires us to take a risk. A big risk. And the risk is pain. To open myself up and say, this is who I really am. And this is not the image I put on. This is not the smiley me that I try to show off to the world. This is the real me. It invites other people. In seeing the difficulty, they can see, here's the the great invitation, they can see how God is working in those scary parts. But it also gives them access to the parts you've tried to hide. But what's the alternative? The alternative to withdraw from community, when we withdraw from community, we don't just miss out. We miss out on the work God wants to do in us, but we don't just miss out on that. When we withdraw from community, not only do we miss out on on the transformative work that God wants to do in us, we deprive others of the same experience. There are people who God wants to use you to demonstrate his gospel to. If you're a believer in Jesus and God is working in your heart, he wants to use you to demonstrate his goodness to someone else. He wants to bring somebody joy through you. When you pull back from community, you're not just robbing yourself, although you are, but you're also preventing somebody else from seeing God working in you. We talk about engaging the Word. That's what we've been talking about this month. An absolutely vital part of engaging God's Word, as much as reading it, as much as memorizing it, as much as obeying it, those are all good things, but it's absolutely vital that we also share it with other believers. So here's my question. As we wrap this up, who who are you in community with? And by community and relationship, who do you have a gospel relationship 
with. And I don't mean this to make you feel like, oh, nobody. Ugh. Like, that's not the point. I'm just asking to start thinking about it. Not just a social friendship, real gospel community. And you're like, well, wait, you said, you know, community groups are taking a break. We're not going to be, okay, I'm not just talking about community groups now, okay? There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. I'm not just talking about the other stuff that's going on. Let me give you something really, really specific, okay? If you're thinking in your head, who am I in relationship with? Who am I in a gospel relationship with? And you can't think of anybody. And you're starting to get a little bit upset. Why not? Why won't somebody reach out to me? Why won't somebody? Here's, I'm going to give you the piece of advice. Again, we're going back teacher-wise. This is all the way back to elementary school, okay? So this is the advice you got in elementary school. I'm giving it to you today. If you want to have a friend, what did your teacher say? You heard that. Awesome. Okay, if you want to have a friend, be a friend. Let me, let me put it into the words we're using today. If you want to have gospel community, be gospel community. You want to see God working in other people's lives? Get in other people's lives. You want to have relationships that point you to Jesus? Go out and build a relationship that will point you to Jesus. Let me, here, I, I said, I'm going to be really specific. Did you all get a bulletin when you came in? Get your, grab your bulletin real quick, okay? First off, on the front, there are opportunities for gospel community, but that's not what we're doing. We're flipping it over, okay? Flip it over to where there's this empty space on the back, okay, everybody? Okay, on that empty space, here's the first thing I want you to do in that empty space. I want you to write this down, right? Hashtag Psalm 1, Okay? If you were here last week, you know what this means. Steve talked about this. We are, Steve invited us all to memorize Psalm 1. Okay, and some of you started this week. Some of us are kind of starting. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. All of us, we're going to work on this together. And he mentioned this last week. I want to make this really specific. What if we memorize it not in isolation? Okay, so here's next. Okay, write Psalm, hashtag Psalm 1, draw a line under it. Below the line, I want you to write down right now, think of two names, write down two names, two people. If you're married, not your spouse, two people who don't live in your house, who you potentially could be in, could move into gospel community with. Two people who you've met before, maybe you kind of have like a only know their name, Maybe you know them somewhat, but on that kind of social level, two people who you could be in gospel community with. If you're here this morning, this is your first time, you don't know a single person here, that is awesome, we are so glad you're here. What I want to encourage you to do is at the bottom here, there's a response card, you can tear that off. On the back, where it says prayer requests or questions, just write hashtag Psalm 1, and put your name and your email address, and we will find people for you. Now, that is a lot of trust. Okay, I get it. But if, you, if you're like, I don't know anybody. But if you, if you do, okay, write down two names. Two people who you could move into gospel community with. Okay? Now, here's the big part. In just a minute, we're going to move into what we usually call a time of reflection. When we go into our time of reflection, I want every single one of you to get out your phone and text, or email, or direct message, or on Slack, reach out to one of the two people whose name you just wrote down. And I want you to send them a message now, like now, before you leave the building. When we go into the time of reflection, I want you to send them a message and say, will you memorize Psalm 1 with me? 
Invite someone. Don't wait. Don't listen and go home and be like, yeah, gospel community, that would be awesome. I hope somebody invites me. No, 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 no. You do the inviting. Right now, in just a minute, the band's going to come back up. Okay, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have what, again, would normally be silent reflection. I want it to be everybody on your phone. Okay? You never thought you would hear that in church. I want you to get out your phone, and I want you to text or email or however you can get in touch with that person. Okay? Don't call them. That might get a little bit noisy. But some silent form. And say, will you memorize Psalm 1 with me? Don't sit around and go, well, why didn't anybody text me? You do the texting. You reach out. Okay? Now, again, I was a middle school teacher, so I know the question. Yes, you can work in a group of three. It's okay. Okay? If it's more than, that's fine. But here's the goal. You reach out to somebody. And then... And then, this is where it gets tricky, I know, I know, but you're going to work together on this. You're going to plan some time to get together. To talk about Psalm 1, and to talk about your life, and to talk about how God is working in your life. Not because you're an expert, not because you know better, not because you're more spiritual than that person, not because you're going to teach that person or tell them how they, no, 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 no. You're just going to get together to talk about what God is doing in your life, in the hard stuff, in the stuff that that is really tricky. You're going to talk about the things that you don't see the answers to. You're going to talk about the places where you don't see God working. But together, the two of you, as you share, not just your life, that you're sharing your life, but you're also sharing in the word together. And as you bring those things together, God will use it. God will use it. And he will apply his word in the hard stuff, in the real stuff. In the, I don't know when I'm ever going to need to know this, you're going to see it together. Here's the glorious, glorious truth. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has invited all of us into his family. By his beautiful grace, we didn't earn it. We cannot work to keep it, but he's invited us in because of his love, because of his mercy. Let's not miss out on the life changing blessing of being a part of that family. Okay, let's pray, and then you guys are going to send some messages, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word, and thank you for your family. God, every single one of us is so broken, so needy, so desperately wanting to be known and you've given us a gift a gift of other broken needy people who see you and have hearts being transformed by you so I ask that we would not neglect that gift that you would by your grace, by your mercy, by the power of your spirit create 
relationships and bonds that are so much stronger than just human friendship. That you will build gospel community in our lives through the power of the Spirit because of the grace of your Son. In your name we pray. Amen.